It's another Saturday in CCO land when we have a bit of a wine chat with our friend from Haskell's, Jack Farrell. Good morning, Jack. Hi there, Denny. How's it going? It's going well, and I hope it is with you, too. I'm not sure folks will be out on the uh, having a picnic today or what with 65 <laughs> for a high. It's unbelievable. We're on a veritable roller coaster weather-wise. Yes, yes. What are we going to talk about like today? It. Well, today I'm going to answer some listeners' questions, one of my favorite things to do. I was motivated by this. This last week I got about 15 or 16 inquiries, and I thought maybe it's time to do that again. So today I'm going to answer a bunch of questions. The first question is, and I, this is always asked me, what temperature should wine be served at? Well, room temperature means about 55 to 60. What temperature should wine be served at? Well, room temperature means about 55 to 60 degrees. That was the temperature of rooms before central heat, and that's the temperature you should serve red wine at. Uh, White wine should be probably served between 45 and 50 degrees, depending on the quality of the wine. The colder the wine is, the less you'll notice the flaws in it. So if you have an inexpensive wine, you serve it ice cold, most people won't detect the flaws in the wine. So another rule to follow when about temperature wine is the old 15-minute rule. Uh, red wines uh, put in the refrigerator for about 15 minutes. White wines take out of, I'm sorry, red wines take out of the refrigerator for about 15 minutes, let them sit on the sideboard. Uh, white wines put in the refrigerator for 15 minutes, and usually it's cold enough. If you need a rapid chill on the wine, that's where an ice bucket comes in handy. But always remember, put water in there besides the ice. The ice itself won't transmit the cold temperature quickly enough. You need water in there to cover the ice and that to be the conduit to get that ice to the bottle. So, again, uh, red's about 55 or 60, white's 45 to 50 degrees. Why is champagne so expensive compared to Prosecco and other sparkling wines? Well, there's several reasons for it. Probably the principal one is it takes three years to make a bottle of champagne. Uh, that's right, three full years from the time the grapes are picked till the champagne's ready to ship. So you're tied up for that length of time. Also, the Champagne region is a very small region, really, where Champagne is produced. And Champagne, real French Champagne, develops its character, I am convinced, primarily because of the chalk content of the soil. When you get down in some of those cellars in Champagne, uh, they're all chalk. The walls, everything is chalk. And you even see the roots growing through the chalk uh, when you visit some of those champagne places. In fact, if you're in Paris and have a day to spare, a drive up to Champagne is always very interesting because most of the big houses have accommodation where they you can take a tour of the house. Best to call in advance to make sure you, they have the tours the day you get there if you have a particular favorite. But that's what makes Champagne what it is, and why it's so expensive. You mentioned this several years ago, the five things to look for in a wine. What are those? Would you mind repeating? I'll be happy to repeat. They are first and foremost color. The next is aroma. The next is bouquet. 
taste and aftertaste. So when you're looking at a glass of wine to evaluate it, if you're judging that wine or rating it or anything, the color, is it clear, not cloudy? That's fine. Aroma, does it smell like wine? Fine. Bouquet, here's a little more tricky. That's where, what, if it's Zinfandel, does it smell and t- like Zinfandel? If it's Pinot Noir, does it smell like Pinot Noir? Then you taste it, and how does it feel in your mouth, the taste? Is, and then you swallow, and then the aftertaste. So those are the five things, color, aroma, bouquet, taste, and aftertaste. And whether you've graded the wine on a 100-point basis, a 20-point basis, or 10 stars, 3 stars, however it's rated, those are the five components of any rating of any wine. Uh, what about storing wine? This is a question I get a lot of. And frankly, if you live here in Minnesota and have an old-fashioned root cellar, that's the best place to store wine. What you want to do is insulate that room from the heat of the house. And usually it's in the basement or something. And most root cellars are, are kept from the heat of the house anyway. But the natural enemy of wine is heat and light. So if you have a dark, cool place, that's the place to put it. If you live in an apartment and you're looking for a place to store the wine, usually we recommend the central core of the apartment on the floor. In other words, a closet in the center of the apartment down on the floor is usually the coolest place with the most consistent that's what re- really is the problem when you're uh, aging or holding wines at home is you want just consistency. You don't want any temperature fluctuation at all, and that's the way to do it. When I have a little wine left over, what's the best way to save it? Well, if, the very best way to save it, in my opinion, is to get a vacuum. A little vacuum is a package which comes with three uh, gaskets, if you will, and a pump. And you put the gasket in the top of the bottle and you pump all the air out and you set it aside. And if you set it in a dark place, usually that vacuum vent will keep that wine pretty good for up to a week. Uh, another way to do it is put it in the refrigerator. That chills the wine down and deadens it. And what you really again want to do is you don't want to have much of the surface of that wine exposed to air. So if you've drunk a half a bottle, if you, the by most ideal thing would be to have a half bottle of wine that you put the half bottle into, put the cork back into that half bottle, and lay it down in the refrigerator. And usually in stored like that, it may last up to two weeks. Uh, but the vacuum in is very, very handy, and uh, it, it's an inexpensive way to store wines that are left over after you've had wine with the dinner and you still have half a bottle or three quarters of a bottle left that's that what's your favorite wine jack well the one that's in my glass currently i i have really lots and lots of favorites if i had to pick a favorite area in the world it would probably be burgundy because i think in burgundy you'll find the most exquisite form of chardonnay and pinot noir in the entire world they do it best. The, both of the grape types are started in Burgundy, Chardonnay, and Pinot Noir. As a matter of fact, in Burgundy, Pinot Noir is the only red wine grape you can get, and uh, Chardonnay is the only way. There's an exception, but uh, really 99% of all the 
red wine in Burgundy is Pinot Noir, and the same thing can be said of Chardonnay, although they do have one called Aligote, uh, which is a nice white wine, but it's certainly not Chardonnay level or, or quality of Chardonnay. How do wines get their names? Well, they get them usually from three ways. The varietal itself, Cabernet, Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, that's one way. Then place, well, that's Leaf Brown Milk, Chianti, Pomard. Those are all places in Europe or, or in other places, uh, and the, the wine has gotten its name from the place. Fantasy names, this is my favorite, Leaf Brown Milk. Leaf Brown Milk means virgin's mother's milk, kind of an oxymoron. But it came about because there was a church, and this fellow had a vineyard next to the church, and they said, your leaf brown, your wines are better than anybody else's. And what did he say? It's the milk of the virgin. The virgin stood on top of the church and uh, looked over his vineyard. So that, that's the names, varietal, place name, and fantasy. And that's the only basis for any names uh, for wines. Why does the waiter give me a cork in the restaurant? Well, here's a good one that'll set you apart from everybody else. The reason you're given a cork in the restaurant is to assure you're getting the same wine. That started almost in Victorian times in London. Many unscrupulous French wine shippers and unscrupulous English wine merchants would order a barrel of cheap wine and put expensive labels on it and sell it in the restaurants. That's when they ship most of the wine in barrels. Now what they've decided to do, all really good wine, if you notice, when you pull the cork out, is branded. usually has the vintage and the name on the cork. So they don't give you that cork in a restaurant for you to smell. Or It'll take a very good nose or a very, very bad bottle of wine where the cork would actually identify that the wine is no good. And what you're really given that cork for is to identify the wine. So if you've ordered a Robert Mondavi Cabernet Sauvignon or a BV Tapestry Cabernet, it'll say BV Cabernet, and usually if it's good enough, the vintage will be on it too. How do you learn about wine? Well, I remember once a person told me, get a corkscrew, and that's kind of true. That's the best way to learn about wine is to taste it. And uh, nothing beats that tasting of the wines. Uh, it, it just opens doors. And the idea with wines is really everybody, I'm sure, has favorite wine that they go to as a, on a regular basis because they like it the best. But keep an open mind. There's so many wonderful wines out there and so many new areas coming online from uh, Soviet republics in Europe uh, to South America, Paraguay, Uruguay. There's always new things coming out. And that, that, to me, is the real romance and interest of wine with all these new things coming out. What about histamines? Well, histamines naturally occur in all wines. And if you're allergic to histamine, have a friend decant the wine two or three times back and forth. Have the friend who's not allergic to histamines well, that will dissipate doing that agitation of the wine from one container to another three or four times. That will agitate all of the histamines out of the wine entirely. So if you're allergic to histamines, 
try that decanting back and forth and see if it doesn't relieve the whole situation as the histamines will be totally dissipated. What about tannin? Where does tannin come from in a wine? Well, it comes from many places. It can come from the wood, the barrel that its uh, wine is fermented in, if it is. Uh, it can come from the little grape pips, the seeds that are inside the grape. It can come from the grape skins. But tannin is that thing in wine. After you have a tannic wine, you'll taste in your mouth a little like a tea from a tea bag. That it's kind of a stringent, dry taste, and tannins really are the things that help preserve wines and help enable wines to age well. What about I like to put ice cubes in my wine? <laughs> Good for you. Go right ahead and do it. There's no rules and regulations to enjoying wine by yourself, or even for that matter in public. If you like a little ice cube in your wine, by all means. The only objection most people have is it does dilute the wine. And uh, sometimes that's not all bad either. When you have a wine spritzer, you're diluting the wine with uh, carbonated water, usually half and half. An ice cube, uh, is it's, like I say, it's up to you. I personally wouldn't put an ice cube in a wine, particularly a good wine, However, I have on a hot day put an ice cube in an inexpensive wine glass and made it more enjoyable. So there's nothing wrong with putting ice in your glass and don't let anybody give you a hard time about it because as they say in the wine business, degustibus non disputanum est, which is Latin for in matters of taste, there can be no dispute. Look at how many people like mustard on their hot dogs and just as many like ketchup. And you aren't going to convince one to do it the other way or vice versa. So it's really the same thing about wine. It's do what you kind of like and what you enjoy. That's the most important thing. Uh, wine's different than you, when you have them in Europe. No, not at all. I always am mindful of the story of people having a glass of wine in France and saying, oh, it was so wonderful, it was a pichette, it only cost a few dollars, the best wine I ever tasted. I submit that same wine in the harsh fluorescent light of the, your kitchen at home with your significant other in a bad mood is not going to taste like the one you had on the Champs-Élysées in France. Well, there you have it, a bunch of different wine questions. I hope I've answered them for you. Uh, if not, uh, write me and I'll I answer all the ones I get. And this is kind of a fun thing for me to do, and I hope you enjoyed it as well. Oh, absolutely. Always a fun uh, element uh, on the show. I always enjoy it myself. I know our listeners do, too. And you can also enjoy visiting any Haskell's location, uh, and they'll, they're really helpful folks there. Right, Jack? Indeed. For 90 years, 90, nine decades, Haskell's has been taking care of the wine needs for the Twin Cities. And we've gotten pretty good at it over those 90 years. Stop in. They'll help you pick a wine that'll go perfectly with whatever dish you're preparing. And you know, best of all, they're going to help you pick a wine that won't break the bank. It'll be affordable. There's a Haskell's in Bloomington. There's another one in Excelsior. In Faribault, there's a Haskell's right off at 35. And our supercellar in Maple Grove is not to be believed. 22,000 square feet of wines from around the world. There's a Haskell's in Plymouth, 
St. Paul's Highland Village has the Haskells, as does Stillwater, White Bear Lake, and Woodbury as well. And if you can't come in, go to Haskells. Paul's Highland Village has the Haskells, as does Stillwater, White Bear Lake, and Woodbury as well. And if you can't come in, go to Haskells.com. And don't forget, at Haskells, we do deliver. Excellent, Jack. Let's meet up again next week. Denny, I'm going to look forward to that. That's Jack Farrell from Haskells.